God is good. You know the scripture says that the whole world shall know you're my disciples because of your love one for the other. It says because of your love one for the other, the whole world will know that you're my disciples. It doesn't say because you guys all agree on the same theology. It's very rare that we'll all agree on the same theology. We all agree on the same person, that it's Jesus, that he's the only way to God, and to actually receive salvation and get into heaven, it has to be his sacrifice and not yours. If we agree on that, I can love you with the perfect love. If you don't agree on that, I can still love you with the perfect love, but you can't love me with the perfect love. Because the scripture says that how can two dwell together unless they're in unity? You can't dwell with someone who is in opposition to the truth that you have. Can you force somebody to believe what you believe? No, you can't. That's why the Apostle Paul would go on to write, if a man's going to be ignorant, let him be ignorant. That's why Jesus would say, don't cast your pearls among swine, lest they trample it and then they turn on you. And sometimes we try to give something very valuable to someone who doesn't esteem it and then we're surprised when they trample on it and then try to attack us. When Jesus said, don't do that, according to the word of God, Jesus didn't say the whole world will know that you're my disciples because of how much you love them. See, the Father loved humanity, the people in the world, enough to die for them. His affection is always towards them. But his affection is towards them, but it's in us. How is it released one to the other? One to the other. Jesus also said something. He said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest, or life more abundantly. If Jesus came to give us life, and you ask yourself, what is my reason in Christ for existence? Why am I here? These are my personal beliefs. I don't believe my mission is any different than Jesus' mission. Because Jesus' main mission was to come so that we could have life and have that life to the fullest. Once we have a full life, you can actually give out of what you have because you're no longer deplete. Because your assurance for salvation and your assurance into the fullness of God doesn't come from you, it came from Him. It's the resting place that the world is seeking to enter into through alcohol, pornography. They're seeking to find that satisfaction in some way to find comfort from affliction or torment. I'm no longer tormented. I'm no longer afflicted. I have a sound mind. I have peace that passes all understanding. I have a covenant that I myself can't break that was written with the blood of God's own Son. God did this for me. He did this for me so that I could see Him and then in return reveal Him to you. So that as I know I'm loved, I can release love. So that the whole world will actually know that I'm a disciple of Jesus. Look at the way they love one another. They can disagree and they can still love each other? Let me tell you, loyalty isn't proven when we both agree. Love isn't proven when we both agree. Loyalty 
is tested and proven when we don't agree. When we don't agree, yet yeah, I'm still loyal and I still love you, but we have a disagreement. If you're rooted and founded in the person of God and not just the things of God, your love will remain. It's possible to have an experience with God and seek the experience instead of the one that gave it. We've all been there. Lord, just bring a deeper anointing like before. So we come in and we pray and we're asking God for an outpouring of the Spirit that moves our flesh but can't quench our spirit. We have waters inside of us that we can draw out at any time and we're waiting for something to come upon our flesh to tell us that He's here. He's always been here. He always will be here. It's the mystery of the gospel, the Apostle Paul said. The mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, which is our hope of glory. The reason why I expect to see the glory of God manifested in my day is because the mystery of Christ lives inside of me. That in Christ, the fullness of all of God dwells in Him. And then the scripture tells us that I'm in Him. See, we're always trying to get full, but we don't realize that we've been filled. So if you don't realize you've been filled, you can never come to the point of pouring out because you always feel depleted. So you're always searching for something that you already have. Instead of looking inward, we look upward. Because we think God's somewhere out there, but guess what? He's right in here. (laughs) The Holy Spirit dwells in the fullness inside of me. I do not have the Spirit of God in measure. I have knowledge of what I have in measure. But the fullness of God dwells in me. John chapter 14, 14. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. What is the commandments he's talking about? What was Jesus' whole mission to show them? He showed them pure love through servanthood, though he was Lord. And we've already covered that he said, the whole world will know that you're my disciples, your love one for the other. The commandments that he was talking about was continuing in the love that he manifested to them and what he had showed them. It's not the Ten Commandments. Because he didn't say you'll keep the Ten Commandments. If you read the scripture right, it says that he who loves me will keep my commandments. Jesus' commandment is love. And I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. That he may live with you. Abide means to actually make you or that place at my residence. And he says that if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. That he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him. Okay, the world doesn't see the Holy Spirit. How does the world get to see the Holy Spirit? According to what Jesus said, they all will know that you're disciples of Jesus because of your love one for the other. So how does the world get to see the evidence of the Holy Spirit? Because they can't see him. It has to be in the way that I treat my wife, in the way that I treat my sisters. 
in the way that I treat my brothers or my fathers. It would be the way that I treat you, not as a member in church, but as a member of my family. I've been born again into a family. You have been born again, placed inside of a family. So Michelle's no longer just someone who goes to my church. I could honestly say she's my sister to somebody. Is it lying? No. But we don't view each other in that aspect all the time. But if you don't view the person next to you as your family, then it's easy to get offended. But when you realize the reason why Jesus came was to give us life and life to the fullest, that fullness of life is supposed to be expressed one to the other. So offense can't happen. You can't offend me to the point where I wouldn't love you. Because that's what the world knows. The world separates and speaks against each other with offense and hatred over disagreements, even in political things. But the church isn't supposed to be like that. The church is supposed to be the representation of the fullness of God inside the earth. That's what we're called to be, and I believe that that's what we're going to see. Because if the leaders won't get offended, it's very hard for the body to. When the leaders can have disagreements and still love each other, still respect and admire each other, it's very easy for the body to. I've been out of line in this ministry more than once. Mark and Val weren't offended. They could have easily said, well, go your way then, buddy. They could have. It would have been easier for them to do that than to sit down and to have to go through everything and work everything out. But the reality of the love between your leaders is real. It's, it's not fake. I love them. They love me. They love Heather. They love our kids. We love them. And guess what? All of us love you. It's true. We ain't even took membership in this church, but we don't see you as church members. Everyone who's here right now, who's continued with us, you're family. You are. You're family. Even the spirit of truth of the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, for I will come to you yet a little while, and the world sees me no more, but you see me. Because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know... What day is he talking about? Our day. He's talking about right now. And he says, At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. Again, he didn't say he who keeps the commandments. Referring to the Mosaic law. He said he who keeps my commandments. The number one command that Jesus said is that you must believe that he's the son of God. That's the first and foremost. That's Jesus' commandment. That you should believe in his name, that he was the Christ. Like we've covered before, Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. Like Todd White says, it wasn't Joseph and Mary Christ. It wasn't. I like that because it's not. But that's how we sometimes think. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father. 
And listen to this. And I will love him. And I use this verse as a promise to me. It says, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. The Father said that he has loved us with an everlasting love. That God has loved us with an everlasting love. And that coming in to who he is, which God is love, we understand who we are, we understand how much we're loved, and we actually have the ability to let that love empower us in our love. Then in return, I can love God. And if I love God, then I should know that the Father loves me. And if I love God, and I know the Father loves me, I should have an expectation that Jesus himself will manifest himself to me. See, he wasn't talking just to the 12 disciples because the verse is right above it, which we touched on. He said, at that day, which is in the future, after he died, after he was resurrected. He's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, which they have no idea what the fullness of that means. He's talking about at that day. He's talking about in my day. He's actually talking about in your day. And he's talking about today. The message I want to preach to you is actually a message that I have entitled A Defining Moment. What precedes a defining moment is actually a choice. Every defining moment in our lives, what preceded that was a choice that we made that defined that moment. I want to give you the definition from the Webster, what a defining moment actually means. It means an event that typifies or determines all subsequent related occurrences. Everything that happens after this is because of this, pretty much. That this was a defining moment of time in a person's life. What is a defining moment is always based on a choice. What precedes a defining moment is always a choice. It's when we choose to do something. A defining moment for the Father was the creation of man. Okay, God had a choice to make. It was in his heart to do it. He made a choice. He chose to create man. It was a defining moment. A defining moment for humanity was eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a defining moment. Everything that occurred after the creation of man and man eating of the fruit was all based upon what happened there. Everything. Before he ever created man, he had a decision to make. See, because Christ was crucified before the foundations of the world. We know that scripture. God had a choice to make. Am I going to put this tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden and take away their choice, their free will? Because by putting that tree there, it would give man the ability to choose, but without the tree, there's no choice. And it's the same with the snake. Why would God allow the enemy to be in the earth instead of just sending them to hell? Well, if there's no second choice, there's no free will. God values our free will so much that even at the price of the blood of his own son, he wouldn't take it from us. What do you use your free will for? To make choices? 
A defining moment in my life is my stepdad, my dad was going to go to church at home. I was 18. So my dad went to church at this new church that they found called Liberty Christian Fellowship, where Mark was the assistant pastor. My room was here. My mom's room was over here. She was sick, so she stayed home. My dad went to church. My mom was in bed. I was in bed. She said, do you want to read the Bible with me? I had no desire to read the Bible. I had no desire to see God at all. And I said, uh, I said, yeah, sure. Sure, I, I will. I got up and I know now it was the Holy Spirit, but if I was to point to it then, it didn't even make sense that I would get out of bed, get my Bible, and read it with my mom when I wanted nothing to do with God. That became a defining moment for me. I said, well, where do you want to read? And she said, the New Testament. And I said, where is that? Well, she said, Matthew. And she said, it's in the New Testament. And I said, where is that? And she said, it's, it's the second part of your Bible. So we started reading in Matthew. I think we got to chapter 7. She got up when my dad got home. And I didn't move till I was done with the book of Mark. See, my choice... And my willingness to yield to what the Holy Spirit was doing through my mom and actually calling me to the Word, my choice became a defining moment in my life. Two weeks later, I'd meet a man named Mark Testament. A month after that, I would actually start attending his church. About six months after that, I would meet the wife of my youth, the mother of my children. And it all stems back to that one moment that became a defining moment in my life. We can look at it now and we say, wow, that was such a powerful decision that you made to get up and read the Word. All I did is yield to what the Holy Spirit was putting inside me or drawing me to because I didn't even have the Holy Spirit at that time. And it went beyond my natural reasoning, why would I even do this? The moment that I stepped over and did it, my whole life has been empowered in that direction. It becomes a defining moment. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 8. 5, the number of grace. 8, the number of new beginnings. I like that. Who don't like that, huh? Grace is the new beginning into the fullness of God. Listen to what it says. It says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. This is Jesus he's referring to here. He said, Yet Jesus was a son. He learned to be obedient by the things he actually went through, which he suffered. What does that mean to you? If you just think of obedience as the law, then you're going to miss it. But if you think obedience as the right way to pleasing God and the good for your life, you're going to get it. Because you know what? We all have learned obedience through the things which we went through. We learned to be obedient because of the things that didn't work. Have you ever started a diet and the first week is horrible? And all you want is junk food or whatever. And you feel like you're denying yourself, but you're not denying yourself. You feel like you're suffering because you're denying yourself, but you're not denying yourself, you're denying the flesh. 
Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered because he actually denied the flesh and he chose what was good. If God's leading us to do something, whether it's lose weight, whether it's draw closer to him, regardless of what it is, if he's put something on our heart to do, it's usually not the easy way because we're going to have to resist the temptation of our flesh. And you can feel like you're suffering when you tell your flesh no. But you learn what is good, what is pleasing, and what is acceptable to God. And the life that Jesus has for us is a life that's full of abundance. See, any day can become a defining moment for your life. I was talking to my cousin Jesse and I told him, you know, every choice that we make empowers the next choice. And I was telling him Tuesday, I went over to my mom's. I, I haven't been eating red meat, processed sugar, or deep fried foods. So I, I'm eating red meat now, but up until Tuesday I wasn't. So <laughs> that'll have to be explained at a later time. I went to my mom's and she made spaghetti and she has meat in it. And my mom is the best cook in the world. Like, I mean, she, she really is. I'm not just saying it. My sister-in-law, Melissa, says that she can take water, flour, put them together. And you're like, where'd the fish come from? <laughs> she calls her the Moses of cooking. <laughs> just fish appear, you know. But I was over there Tuesday and she made spaghetti. So I ate some spaghetti. And then, you know, I'm not eating sugar. But Heather comes home with Girl Scout cookies from work. The last choice I actually made, which was the wrong choice, empowered my next choice. So since I already ate the spaghetti, I might as well go ahead and eat the Girl Scout cookies. But I was telling Jesse, if I would not have ate that spaghetti, I wouldn't have ate those cookies. Because my previous choice would have empowered my next one. That's why... One choice can become a defining moment in our lives. That one choice to accept Jesus and reflecting back to what that decision meant, meant then, what it still means now. That was a defining moment in all of our lives that are here. Every one of us could be in a different place right now. That single choice put all of us here together right now. That means all of us from different areas, different walks of life, that one choice was a defining moment that brought all of us together. Us outside of that choice, none of us are here. But that's the reality that one choice can become a defining moment. That even if you've been walking the wrong way for years, that one good choice to go the right way can actually become a defining moment. It can take the momentum that you were going and traveling the wrong way and it can bring it to a halt. And as soon as you decide to go the right way, it will actually empower you into the next step in the right direction. It's the power of a choice. It's the power of our free will. And it's different because now it's the power of the Word of God that's inside of you, put there, placed there by the Holy Spirit. So now your spirit is in cooperation with God's spirit and they're both in agreement to the word 
I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. Now God is inside of me in fullness. The Holy Spirit is inside of me in fullness. Is there anything I can't do? That becomes the question. But Satan tries to lead us with this question, what can you do? The question becomes, I can do all things through Christ. What can't I do? I can trample on powers and principalities. I can overthrow the powers of the enemy that no harm may come to me. That's a promise that I have. And it's more than just a promise. It's a present reality because my first choice into that will empower the next choice over that. My first choice into that, your first choice into that, which this is what I see that you have said about me, Lord, because my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Because when they came back in that same scripture, they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he said, don't rejoice because the devils submit to you, but rather rejoice because your name is found in the Lamb's book of life. My name, your name is found in the Lamb's book of life. Therefore, devils and demons have to submit to me. And when the enemy tells me he's going to harm me, it's actually laughable because God said that I am going to overthrow him and that no harm may come to me. But it works on the reverse too. You're moving in confidence. You're moving in the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden an obstacle comes in your way and you're moved with fear. In that moment, you have a decision to make based upon a choice of how you respond to what's coming against you. If you respond in fear, it will stop the momentum that you've been going with, which is backed by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying if you feel fear. I say if you respond in fear. Feelings of fear can come upon you. That doesn't mean they come from you or they're in you. They come upon you. So when the enemy tries to stop it, if you don't respond in fear and you respond in faith and you don't take your eyes off Jesus, there's nothing that he can do. What happens is you plow him over. You ever seen a football player running towards the end zone and somebody thinks they're going to stop them and they're running sideways and this guy's running straight and the straight person doesn't get hit from the side but hits that guy straight on? It's momentum, forward motion. He plows him right out of the way. When the enemy's coming at you from the side and you're running forward and you're not afraid of him hitting you so you don't slow down and you keep running and he thinks he's going to get you and you plow through him, that's what we were designed for. We were actually designed to put the enemy under our feet. It's actually true. Because the enemy is under Jesus' feet. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus' feet in heaven? No, no, they're not. He's the head, we're the body. Where's the body? Here on earth. Where is his feet? Here on earth. Where's the enemy supposed to be? Under the body's feet. Under our feet. We're the body. We don't empower the enemy through fear. We actually empower God to move in our life through praise. Praise becomes one of the weapons of our warfare. And it's a sacrifice of praise like Heather was talking about this morning. She was sharing what she wants to share on Gracepiration and she was telling me that it's going to probably be a sacrifice of praise because when we praise, God actually inhabits the praise of His people. 
that God himself inhabits the praise of his people. And that's awesome because that's a word picture from the Old Testament. But when we praise in this new covenant, he doesn't come and inhabit them. He comes out and inhabits that, whatever you're dealing with. See, praise used to bring God down. Now praise actually brings God out. It's the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's our weapon of warfare. Because the number one thing that the enemy wants to take out of your heart is actually praise and gratitude. And you will never feel like praising and being thankful to God if you're just looking at your circumstances. But if you believe that God is over your circumstances, then it's easy to praise Him. And when you praise Him, it releases the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you to work on what's outside of you, which is your circumstances. See, the enemy is a flesh devil. I mean, I'm not trying to preach a message on the enemy. But do you know that the enemy was concealed in the Old Testament? He was concealed. When Jesus came and died upon the cross and the scriptures were proclaimed, it's like God snatched the enemy by the back of his collar and said, this is what's been killing you guys. This is. The enemy is not allowed to hide in the dark anymore because the scripture tells us exactly what he does. He robs, still kills, and destroys. But Jesus gives us life. So anywhere we find death, destruction, or loss, if we have been given life and life more abundant, then we can extend the life inside of us so that they can walk in the same abundant life that we have. But it all comes from a choice that led from a defining moment because that choice actually defines something in our life that produced something. And everything after this point is because of that choice. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. He learned to be obedient through the things which he went through. I suggest that we also, we learn to be obedient through the things which we've gone through. We actually learn to submit to God. We actually rely on Him for deliverance and help. He's never the problem. He's always the solution. It's easy to be obedient when a parent is not the problem, but the solution. If I believe, you know, my mom hated me, and every decision I made, she just wanted to push me further away, then she would become the problem. But if I believe she loved me and she could actually help me in everything that I've ever done, then she becomes the solution. And that's what grace does. Grace actually makes God the solution. He doesn't want to punish us. Even when I have to whip one of my kids, and I hate whipping them, I actually tell them, you know, I, I hate whipping you guys. I actually hate whipping you. I don't say it hurts me more than it hurts you because my mom used to say that and I hated it. <laughs> it's true. I hate whipping them. But I understand what the scripture says when it says that the rod of correction will drive foolishness out of 
the heart of a child. And we're not beating them with rods, not at all. We're not even beating them. Usually, sometimes all I have to do is raise my voice, and I don't even like doing that. I correct them because I love them, not because I love me. Their choices don't affect me. If they want to run with a knife and stab themselves, it don't affect me. I mean, it does now, but because I'd have to take them to the hospital. But I mean, it, it, it literally, it would hurt them. The reason why I would correct them is because I don't want to see them hurt. And that they can actually learn obedience the right way through denying their flesh what it wants. I think that's the suffering part. And we know it was, because Jesus said himself, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You find him in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's actually praying the first time. He says, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. And he repeats that three times. And the Bible says that he was actually sweating blood. And he was in such agony because he knew what was ahead of him, that his flesh was actually suffering and fighting, actually trying to get him to resist the will of God. You think that's foolishness? No, it's not. If you think Jesus was all-knowing in his earthly ministry, you're mistaken, he wasn't. Well, how could that be? He's God. Yeah, he was God. He became a man who would be completely dependent upon receiving from the Holy Spirit inside of him because Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. So he had to rely on the Holy Spirit to give him the revelation of what the Father was saying. To me, that's not foolishness. To me, that makes sense. He said, I only do what the Father does and I only say what the Father says. If Jesus as a man was functioning in full capacity as God, what does he need the Holy Spirit for? You've been placed in the position as a son or a daughter now. That means that the same position that Jesus was placed in as a son in this earth, who was reliant upon the Holy Spirit to lead him, you've been placed in that same position and given his same spirit. That's why we all have become partakers of his grace. It's through the Holy Spirit that God gave us. That Holy Spirit came inside of us to live when we made the choice to accept him. And that became our defining moment. Let me close with uh, Isaiah 53 here. I'll start in verse 6. This is all the coming of Jesus. Verse 6 is talking about what preceded his coming. It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death 
because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Does that sound like this is a good father if it was pleasing to the father to bruise Jesus? It carries the same language if you look up for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Okay? There was no joy in being crucified. It was what actually came after that where Jesus found his joy, which was us. It's what gave him the strength. Looking at us and his disciples and the generations that would become one with the Father gave him the strength to actually endure the cross. That's why I appreciate when someone has a different relationship with God than me. Difference as in a different preaching style. You guys are amazing. I've told my cousin Jesse numerous times, like the time that you guys put into studying and, and the PowerPoints, you know, 20, 30 hours. I mean, it, it's amazing. But the way that God leads us is the way that he directs us. And the way that we learn from him is unique to us. That's what me and Heather were talking about this morning. And I, I try to give her preaching advice, but I learn different from everybody else. I preach different from everybody else, but I want to encourage her. But God speaks to her different than he speaks to me because he speaks to me as an individual. He speaks to me as a son. He speaks to her as a daughter, but he speaks to Heather the way Heather understands. He speaks to me the way I understand. But when you put them both together, they paint a beautiful picture of what God is saying to us. It's the same with us. Because we have the ability to come into this individual relationship with God and to find our identity individually as sons and daughters. We find our identity as a body pretty easy. Because, you know, the eyes can say to the hand, hey, buddy, your hand. <laughs> You say to the feet, hey, buddy, your feet, you know, or, or you belong over here because the body knows the body. I think some of the struggle is to find our place as individuals where we're not trying to hear God the way that Heather hears from him. We're not trying to do necessarily everything that Heather does. I've taken a lot of things from Heather. I've taken a lot of things from Mark and Val. Like when they said, a defining moment, <laughs> you know, try to, to put it up on the screen and, you know, look for the thread in your messages. That all came from wisdom that they gave me. So now, even when I don't have an opening theme, I'm still looking for the thread. I can take and apply what the Lord is actually showing me through other people, but I have to develop it in my own life personally. And that's the thing, like when we come to God, we can come to him corporately, but when we leave here, we should come to him individually so that he can speak to us as he's speaking to a child. So he can teach us, so that he can show us, so that he can give us wisdom, so that he can give us insight. Because there's a scripture that says, if you acknowledge God, he'll direct your path. And sometimes we're wondering if we're on the right path, but we've been acknowledging God this whole season. The promise is, is that if I acknowledge him, he'll direct my path. And I'm wondering, Lord, is this where I should be? And, and he says, have you been acknowledging me every day of my life for the last 15, 16 years? Yeah. Then why should I question it? Because we have a promise. 
He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When the Lord shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. When the Lord shall make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall see the length of his days. We're his seed, and these are still his days. And the choice that we made to accept Jesus, the choice that we made to accept the Holy Spirit, those were defining moments in our life. And we should, just like Jesus said, because the Father loves us and because we have kept his command, which is to believe in him and to love one another. Because we've kept those commands, we should fully expect to see Jesus manifested to us. Because he said, I will manifest myself unto them. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. This is the Father speaking about Jesus, and he said, because he poured out his soul unto death, I will divide his portion. I will give him a portion among the great. Who is great? God. Right above this, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. Was any of humanity great? No. So who is God referring to as the great? Himself. <laughs> he became part of the Trinity. He was placed back to his original place, except this time he was actually set to glory. And everything of the Father has been entrusted to the hands of the Son. And listen to what it says. Everything of the Father has been entrusted to the hands of the Son. We understand that because the Scripture says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. What does the Scripture say? Let the weak say, I am strong. We are more than conquerors through Christ, which strengthens us. That means that if you're in Christ, you're more than a conqueror and you received strength. You've actually received a portion because the Bible says that he shall divide it among the strong. And it says that we're co-heirs with Christ and this scripture makes sense. That we've inherited on Jesus's level. Because of us? No. Because of Jesus. Just based on the simple choice that we made to accept him. It was a defining moment in our lives. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercessions for the transgressors. It's easy to get lost in the moment 
and actually to forget a moment, a moment that meant the most to you. It's easy to get your eyes off of that because our whole lives are a progression of events that have produced where we're at, that were based on choices we made. It's easy to neglect or to overlook one of the decisions we made that actually led us to this place. But the greatest decision that we made that have led us all here is actually accepting the grace of God. And that because of this grace, I have a position in the Father that was given to me through His Son. I'm empowered because of the Holy Spirit. I'm empowered to live a victorious life. That even when I see defeat, I don't have to face defeat. That I could actually be more than a conqueror through Christ because He wants to give me His strength. The strength of Christ was the Holy Spirit. So because I have the Holy Spirit, I have the same ability to access the strength, which was grace, that Jesus walked in. That we're not limited to where we're at. Because today we can make a choice that can set us in a different place. That the things that God has been showing you to do, that the moment that you make the decision to pursue it and you step that direction, just like Susan said, it wasn't until the children of Israel actually took the first step into the Red Sea that the sea split. When we choose to take that first step in the right decision, that choice will empower our next. It doesn't matter if we've been going that way for a long time. One choice in the right decision will empower the next because we've been empowered by power itself, the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. We want to thank you, Father. We thank you that you have called us to victory. We thank you that as you lead us and guide us into all truth that we've been set free, we've been delivered, Lord God that we are actually more than conquerors, that we can love each other with a perfect love the same way that you loved us, that everyone who sees us will know that we belong to you and we've been taught for you because our love will become evident everywhere around us, that the choices that we make would empower to move us in the right direction, that we would actually understand the benefits of obedience that we wouldn't be forced to be obedient because you don't do that, but that we would actually learn to be obedient, which is the right way, which is the right things, that when the flesh tries to rise up in any of us, that the Spirit of God, which is greater, would push us towards that high calling, which is in Christ, and that we would forget our past failings because you don't remember them, and that more than anything, we would strive for unity in this place, Father that we would be so unified with each other because we're looking to you that this body would just become a symbol of strength, that you would set this body as an example to other bodies, that there doesn't have to be division, there can be unity, and that this whole body would function and leave here and remain in the peace that you gave us. We thank you that it's your peace, Jesus, and I bless these guys, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.